0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. It's episode seven, and we're doing an episode today that was a part of our video podcast that got lost. It was a trip that we made. All the way back on June 3rd, and we have videos of it, but we don't have any podcast talking about how it went and how what we learned from that trip, so we wanted to do it today. So, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're the Photog Adventurers. You guys can follow us along on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're trying to build our photography portfolios this year, doing landscape and astrophotography. And so you can come along with us on our Photog Adventures. Follow us on YouTube and watch the videos. Or you can follow us at our website, photogadventures.com.
1: So today's episode is about goosenecks, and Goblin Valley, both of which are state parks in Utah. So we'll start off with Goosenecks. Goosenecks State Park is a state park in lower Utah, pretty much the lowest part of Utah. It's pretty much on, on the border. border yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's near Monument Valley. So if you heard of Monument, Va- Monument Valley, there's some really cool pictures of Monument Valley, like since Ansel Adams. So yeah, pretty awesome. Beautiful. It overlooks a deep, meander of the san juan river it's it's very near to mexican hat utah so mexican hat is pretty much like almost on the border. it
0: would be in complete utter light pollution darkness if it wasn't for mexican hat
1: true yeah it's a very dark site really cool but mexican hat lights are facing the direction of the milky way so those are the pictures next is the goblin valley um goblin valley is a really cool place i've wanted to go there forever Since I first heard about it, it's another state park, also in southern Utah, but kind of uh, more westernly. So, If you're heading uh, to
0: Moab, you probably go through Green River, and if any of you have been there, you've seen Green River on your way. And if you go west of Green River, you can go down a road towards Hanksville, and on the way to Hanksville is the turnoff for Goblin Valley. Exactly.
1: So, yeah, so Hanksville is the nearest town. The eminent feature of Goblin Valley is those hoodoo rocks. So cool. And they are referred locally as goblins. So that's why it's Goblin Valley, um, which which some of them are really high. But they're all these, they're these mushroom-shaped rocks that when I was there, it looked like the water was coming down around the head of the rocks and kind of forming these bases. It was crazy yeah. formations. They can get several meters high, which is pretty incredible.
0: It's awesome. It's it's a freaking amazing place because you can walk and travel and hike and climb on everything. Yeah. It's not one of those things where it looks awesome and stay back here behind the line and look at it. It's get in there and get on it and just crawl all over. It's a playground for adults and children alike.
1: It's a fantastic place.
0: So why did we want to go out here? Why did we come out to these areas? Well, first off... I saw an awesome picture of the Milky Way that was over the goosenecks last year. And it was a picture that I thought was so cool I wanted to actually buy it. And I never wanted to buy a print before and I thought this would look awesome on my wall because I was really into astronomy last year. So excited about it. I bought a telescope. I got a Celestron Nexstar 6SE telescope. It's my starter telescope. It has a go-to feature. I can see things in the deep sky. And so I was thinking a lot about Milky Way, a lot about what we can see out there in the night sky. And so I saw this awesome picture over the Goosenecks. It was in Utah. It looked beautiful. And I looked it up, went to their website, and it was just so expensive. It was so expensive to buy a print from oh, this really? guy. Mm. I was like, you know, forget that. I know I want to get a DSLR, so let me just go take that picture myself.
1: Mm. Do you remember, like, price range? What was it?
0: I think when I was looking at sizes that were over the 11 by 17, I was already in the 200 zone. Oh, yeah. And so if yeah. I wanted something that was a small print, I could go under 200, but I didn't like that at all.
1: No, you want something large, yeah.
0: Yep. So he was selling it for a good price, which is typical of a landscape photographer and a national photographer. But at that time, I wasn't able to buy anything like that. So I said, hey, you know what? I want a camera anyway. Let's go take that shot myself. And so mm. always planned to go down on June 3rd. On the full moon of June was the same time that that picture was taken, so I knew I could really replicate it. And then and in that area, we thought, okay, we have two nights that we can try and capture the shot out there at Gooseneck State Park. So we went there first, and if we had any time left over, where else could we go? Should we go to Monument Valley and get some Milky Way shots at Monument Valley? Or, and I found out that Brendan hadn't gone to Goblin Valley before, we said, okay, that's a guarantee. We are definitely going to Goblin Valley.
1: I've actually never been in Monument Valley either, so we do have to go back to that area because it's so many, many cool We drove through things it there.
0: quickly, but mm-hmm. we didn't get a chance to really enjoy it. Right. So the area of Goblin Valley is right now working towards an International Dark Sky Park designation. And what that means is the International Dark Sky Association will give designations to locations that have done extra work to make themselves a dark sky spot. Now, this one's a park. International Dark Sky Association will award sanctuary, community, reserve, or park. And so it could be an International Dark Sky Reserve It could be an International Dark Sky Sanctuary. And right now, Goblin Valley State Park is trying to become one of their International Dark Sky Parks. And so the way they do that is being in an area that's low-light pollution, for one, so you can't control that. And if you happen to be in an area like that, great. Hit box number one. Then if you go ahead and make sure that all of the lights in your park are specifically careful to not shoot any of the light, flood any of their lights upward you have these caps and these basically like hats over your lights Mm. that direct all light down. So if you have to have any light whatsoever near an area that is... Traveled for bathrooms or traveled for just, you know, there'll be foot traffic there at night and you can't make it completely pitch black. If you have to have any lights at all, make sure you use these ones that have hoods on top that direct the light down and doesn't shoot up in the air. In the air, it's a waste anyway, and it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Larger cities, if every light did that, we'd have much more Milky Way visible at night, even in a larger area. It doesn't have to be low population. It just needs to have better contained light.
1: And that's the kind of thing that the average person would never, ever think about. Right. Light pollution. Like, they hear every once in a while, but they never really know, like, what's a solution for that.
0: You hear the word pollution added to it, and they just still don't click with them. that mm-hmm. it's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. It's messing with animals and their migration patterns. It's messing with people and their own nighttime patterns, just because it never gets really all that dark.
1: Especially in big cities, wow. So much oh, light. Oh, man. Places like New York and such. And
0: yeah. we're just not as connected with the universe around us, the galaxy that we can see at night. We're just not connected. There are people who... I have never seen the Milky Way and it just amazes me. Mm -hmm. I've seen Mm -hmm. it so much. It's funny because now I see these lights on long street sides and I think, oh man, that top part is just a full globe and the light shoots up as well. It doesn't have to. These are really cool looking on our streets, but if the street light had a cap and a hood and then came down, I wouldn't lose anything as a person walking on the street. Mm -hmm. But we have them everywhere where they're just a full globe, light shining 360 degrees, right. why does it have to do that? It doesn't. And if it didn't, if we maintain that on a city level, we could see the Milky Way right here. Ah, it's so disappointing now when I see that. I used to not think twice about it. I thought it looked awesome. But now right, right. I'm all sorts of crazy about it. I'm like, no, what a waste. Oh, what a waste. That's a waste. It could fix that. <laughs> and so I point that out all the time. So I'm excited as a guy who lives in Utah that we have all these places that you can have international dark sky designations like Natural Bridges National Monument, one of the first ever Hovenweep National Monument, Canyonlands, Capitol Reef National Park is a Gold Tier International Dark Sky Park. We have the Dead Horse Point State Park, which I've never been there either. It's just off in Moab, so I have go check that out. And then the last one is a small park that's up in Weber County called North Fork Park, and. This area isn't as dark of a sky as these other ones, but because of all their work that they've done, the third element that comes into this is whether you have an astronomy outreach for the community. And so if you're teaching astronomy, you're taking care of your lights and teaching about lights with hoods and blocking that light and not going and flooding the air for no good reason, they will give you a designation. They're and
1: actively doing working on it. Yeah.
0: Yep. So this is a bronze tier International Dark Sky Park because it's in a little bit of a light pollution, but because of all the work that they've done, they've got it designated to them back nice. in 2015. Nice. And there's several in Utah that are declaring it more because we have an awesome location, awesome population, and you know Goblin Valley. Someday they could be called that, and I wouldn't doubt by this time next year that they get it. Mm-hmm. So talking about Goose first, this awesome place that we came to. One of the timings that was awesome about this weekend is that. Saturn and earth and the sun were in an awesome position to see Saturn. What happens every year is the opposition of Saturn where the earth passes between the sun and Saturn. And so with this time, the sun is lighting up all of Saturn's face that's facing towards Earth. It's a beautiful time to see it and we are closer to Saturn at that time than any other time during the year. So Earth is closer to Saturn. It's awesome to see. It's very well lit and it's the best time to look at it in a telescope. And so I brought my telescope out there and we were getting a chance in this very, very dark site out there at Goosenecks. We've got our cameras already going on time lapse. Another camera that I'm going out every twenty minutes and taking a few more shots with. And then in between that we have my telescope out. <laughs> That was a blast. Now, had you seen some of those things in the telescope before?
1: Now, I've seen Saturn before in my own little dinky 70x telescope. So, looking at through through your telescope, it was probably twice or three times as big as the telescope. And the
0: clarity, I it, the clarity comes in.
1: Yeah, you can actually see the rings. I think through your telescope and mine, you couldn't. You
0: and can... every year, it's a little bit different how you see the rings. And this yeah. is one of those years we have a separation of the front ring and the planet itself, and so mm. it's dipped down enough you're kind of looking on top of the ring a bit so you can see that separation of the ring in front and the ring dipping behind of saturn that's really cool so cool it's really obvious on this on a telescope if you haven't had a chance to see saturn on a telescope make sure you go out and do that because it is fantastic we also saw the dumbbell nebula and we looked at andromeda galaxy now that is just a big big galaxy in the sky it would be wider than the moon if you could make out all of the galaxy with your naked eye Mm. But with the telescope, all you see is that brightest, brightest core of the Andromeda galaxy, and it looks cool. You can see it, and that's nice to see. We also saw the Whirlpool galaxy, where there's two galaxies coming into each other. One's kind of eating mm-hmm. the other bit of the other galaxy. So you see this awesome S-swirl going from one galaxy to the other.
1: Yeah, that's pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you saw Jupiter, all of its moons, and so it was an awesome night to look at stars. The sky was still. The clouds were awesome. The seeing was fantastic. And the transparency was great, and so it was a good time to look at it because typically you get a little bit of wobble as you look at the planet; it kind of seems to have a, a liquid layer that's moving on you. But transparency was fantastic that night, and so we really scored being out there at Goosenecks and having that telescope out.
1: Yeah, I mean, we kept we got there at a perfect time because we went there specifically for the you know the the clear sky. Um, when we got there, it was about sunset, um, I didn't get to get to see too much of the area. I don't feel like I think the sun is setting pretty fast, so. I took a few snaps. I'd snapped a few pictures of the sun setting and stuff like that. But it was really wispy clouds, and then they just completely vanished for the nighttime, which was perfect. Um, but the interesting thing there that, for me, is I had I had perfect cell signal. I think I had, like, oh, four yeah. or five bars so on 4G. And I'm like, how in that world do I have this perfect reception in the middle of nowhere? Right. And so the cool thing that happened for me is that I was able to FaceTime with my family and while we, while I was eating dinner, they were eating dinner. And we could sit down and have dinner together, even though I was like, you know. I don't Six mean, hours away? Yeah. Hours and hours away, driving. <laughs> so a couple hundred miles away. So that was pretty cool. I thought that was nice.
0: You get to be out in the nature of the desert, and you get to have cell signal and keep in contact with families. We so. could have watched
1: a movie on the phone if we wanted to, you know.
0: The last thing I wanted to say about Goosenecks is I was so nervous about my camera being out there on the edge of the cliff, not that I thought anything would happen to it, but I was afraid someone would come and look in and see if I had anything on the viewfinder and maybe bump the tripod, move it, because the shot that I was capturing, I needed to keep it still until the morning so that I can wait till the sun was hitting the water. So I have this shot of the Milky Way at the right time around 2 o'clock at night, and then I was waiting for that time in the morning towards midday where I could have some light on the gooseneck and on the water had to wait all night keep the tripod perfectly still Mm -hmm. so nervous that someone might bump it that i slept right out there on the cliffside with it i put my cot out there next to the tripod and i had my little battery from goal zero that was running my phone and charging it and i just laid there and this is when it got awesome i turned off all the lights just looked up And the Milky Way was perfectly vertical on the side of the sky. Mm -hmm. So that band of the Milky Way was making this split down the top of the sky. So when you look straight up, it was like someone was draping the Milky Way right across my eyes, was just letting me see it perfectly. Because sometimes you lay there in a cot and you look out, and you have to kind of angle your head down to see the Milky Way during times of the year. But at this time of night, this time of year... Straight up. Straight up. So all I had to do was just relax, rest my head and look and count all the different things that I couldn't make out with my eyes or couldn't understand that were part of the Milky Way galaxy. It was so awesome.
1: Yeah, it was a magnificent night. I mean, it was so bright. The stars were practically lighting the ground. I mean, it was just crazy. So (laughs)
0: let's go ahead and take our first break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about Goblin Valley. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. We're talking now about Goblin Valley. Getting out to Goblin Valley, if you've ever been out there, you know it's obviously desert, but it is really hot. It's, it's not just desert. There's no coverage. In Goblin Valley, they have a pavilion that lets people have some sanctuary from the sun, and you wish you could get out there all day long and hike it, but because of these hoodoos, most of them are taller than you, but they don't provide any shade. And everything that you're hiking around climbing, it's easy, easy, easy to get heat stroke and exhaustion out there. And so we ended up being too early to go out right away. Otherwise, we would have killed ourselves being out there too long. You have to carry tons of water if you're going to be out that long. And so best time to be in Galvin Valley, early morning, late at night. Make sure the sun set. You can play out there. I went out there with scouts, and we played Still the Flag in the middle of Goblin Valley. So once the sun went down, up until it was just too dark that we had to risk spraining our ankle on every run, that's when we finally stopped playing. Mm. And it's great out there at that time when it's not too hot. And I can't wait to go out in the winter and experience a full day of being out there when it's not too hot.
1: I mean, it's, it's literally a concrete jungle.
0: <laughs> yeah, the heat. I think. I think why it feels so extra hot is because the heat bounces off of all those rocks.
1: And the rocks aren't like white; they're red, so they're absorbing a lot of that heat from the sun too, because they're darker in color. So yeah. So everything is very just really getting yeah. like
0: an oven in there. So everyone was out there under the pavilion when we got there. Most people were in and out, but staying under the pavilion. So we were waiting for that sunset time to come. We didn't want to get out there too early and get way too exhausted for no reason. We figured, hey, it'd be, what, like a half an hour out there. We'll find a spot for a good sunset, and it would be great.
1: Yeah, so when we first pulled up, one thing that I noticed is that I'd never been there before. So when we pulled up, I was like, oh, this is it. Okay, saw a pavilion, saw people there. I didn't see really anybody in the rocks when I first looked out. And so it wasn't until a few minutes later... That I noticed that there are people actually out there walking around, not just people like on the sidelines looking at the rocks. And uh, <laughs> I was a little sleep deprived. So I was just thinking initially, oh, this place is smaller than I thought. You know, like I'm not. It's not really that impressive. And then I looked out there after a few minutes. and I saw these people and they look like ants. <laughs> they look like little action figures out in like the park. And I was like, what the heck? Those are people. You Those rocks are massive. <laughs> yeah, then it just like hit me all at once. I'm like, oh my gosh, this place is amazing, you know. So <laughs> I then I couldn't wait to get in there, but it was still too hot. So once the sun, I think it was like an hour before sunset, I want to say. But an hour before we were, sunset. When maybe, we finally walked out. Yeah. Yeah. We started going out there and looking for a spot. And that wasn't enough time. No, it wasn't. There's there was, there's there was so many structures and they're they're very similar, but yet very different. And so when you're setting up a shot, if you want to get a good sunset shot, there's zero clouds in the sky. It was super clear. So we didn't really have that going for us very well for any drama in the sky, but um, you can still get a lot of cool shots with the detail the rocks and everything going on there. But
0: Yeah, that's a perfect segue to jump ahead into what we learned from the trip and how things mm-hmm. went, because that was one of the things I wanted to talk about was the sunset and how challenging it was. Mm-hmm. So let's do that and we'll come back. Because the sunset... At Goblin Valley, it is a real valley. It is going to be in a depression in the rock, and so yeah, yeah. the sun is going to be blocked in that area earlier than when it gets absolutely sunset, red, and everything. Unless you have clouds in the sky to paint above you, mm-hmm. the direct sunlight is not going to be in that Goblin Valley area. So the best chance I was realizing I had was when the light was hitting all the rocks just right, making that golden hour hue, take the shot. Then let the sun set a little bit more and paint the clouds with beautiful colors, then that would be a perfect shot. Yeah. That time of year, we didn't have any clouds. Wasn't,
1: yeah, that wasn't our wasn't our break.
0: And so the other challenge I had out there on my sunset shot, like you're saying, we had an hour to find a location and I could not find a location, no matter how much I tried. I was jumping around rocks, climbing on rocks, and I, I kept pulling my camera out, getting the tripod going and, and framing my shot, thinking, okay, this looks good. But my eyes were seeing contrast where the camera was just not. That mm. sunlight was behind everything. And so everything that was in front of me in four feet in front of me and everything that was 20 feet in front of me and then everything that was 40 feet in front of me all looked like it was at the same exact plane. It all looked like it was about 10 feet in front of me and was a solid shape. It yeah, so it's
1: hard to get that real good um, depth. De- yeah, the depth of the different objects and stuff because they're all kind of the same height and the same yeah. texture, same color, and it's just yeah, it was just really hard to get something that looked really good.
0: Um, obviously, there's an area out there in Goblin Valley that's perfect for it, but in that one-hour attempt that we thought we had given ourselves enough time.
1: Yeah, we picked like one spot. We tried to go all the way around that, around that spot, but it just wasn't really working. Not very. We good. kept
0: working our way back. Go this way. Go that way. Climb up. Climb down. Uh, everything wasn't turning out. And so when I was trying to find a sunset shot looking towards the sun, it wasn't the right thing. So the what I'm learning from that, is I'm going to go back, I'm going to try and find something with the sun off to the left or right of Um. my camera and focus on what contrast I can see with the rocks being hit by the sun, casting shadows, giving me the depth that I'm looking for. Looking into the sun was practically impossible. We came out with one good picture of looking into the sun, and that was your HDR shot.
1: Yeah, I was actually fairly happy with my HDR shot. I guess I got lucky. I feel, no. I feel like I got lucky in that spot. Like, I found a spot and there was just <laughs> enough stuff going on. I was like, yeah, this might work, you know. So I tried it, and after processing, I'm like, yeah, that actually turned out better than I thought it was. So. After
0: the full night of the Goosenecks, where we had the exact same shot, really, for all three cameras, I was really trying to find a different perspective in Goblin Valley. So you found that area up top, and I was going to go to another spot to try and capture something different and unique mm. from your shot, and mm-hmm. it just wasn't turning out. So let's jump back into the story we wanted to talk about in Goblin Valley because we got lost. We We got lost. When we were out for our sunset, we were capturing the sunset, not capturing, capturing, making whatever we could out of it, and the sun was going down. So before it was totally dark, we decided we would go and scout the area for where we wanted to put our Milky Way shot Mm because we had a chance right now, unlike most trips, where we could navigate the area and the terrain in light and decide, hmm, this is a good composition, and then we'll just put our tripods down and wait for that Milky Way to come up and the night to become dark.
1: Mm-hmm. So there, there were several different spots we tried to to explore around, and again, the same problem. Like, there's so many similar structures, and they yeah. all have the same basic features, and but there's these, but there can be some major differences too. So it's just really, it's kind of a challenge to find a place that you really are happy with to find. Especially for the Milky Way, because we're like, okay, we think it's coming from this direction, and you know, we want to see what kind of rock features we want to have in the way and stuff. Yeah, in and most shot.
0: of our shots for months for our astrophotography, we knew where the Milky Way was, but we had a challenge of finding something interesting to put to in, front be in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Here we were surrounded by things that could be in front of it, and then we started getting picky, and it wasn't just being picky, we realized it wouldn't work. You'd get this shot. You get this frame set up where you have the goblin in frame, but then it was sort of in a tangent with the deepest background rocks. And so you try and get closer to that hoodoo, and then it would break the tangent of that horizon plane, but then it's covering, you know, one-third of your image. And now your Milky Way is kind of getting blocked, and so
1: it wasn't working out. Yeah, so, I mean, it was an interesting challenge for sure.
0: So. I found myself getting as close as I could and not working out, pulling back and feeling like it was too small in my image or they're just the hoodoos were weird sized and didn't reach far enough up for me or they were too, too short for me or then they ended up being too
1: overbearing. Yeah, because some were really tall and there were some really high walls. Oh, in the that back. we had to, yeah, in the back facing um, us between us and the Milky Way and so we had to figure out a way to get far enough back so we could minimize that huge high wall. Yeah. And so I mean there was some definitely some interesting challenges there and I found myself a little alcove of of rocks and so I set up base there and thought that this might be a good starting point for me. And
0: when he was over in his alcove, I had gone around looking, looking, and I knew I liked this shape of hoodoo. There was this one particular shape that looked like mushrooms and houses for the Smurfs. And I thought, I don't want it to be entirely by itself. I need a group of them and see if I can find a group. And I kept wandering, wandering, looking. And close to his alcove, luckily, was this group where there was a wall of them on my left, a gap with two a little bit more in the distant, and then there was one by itself on the right. And I felt like, yeah, this composition could work out Yeah, great. it was
1: a really cool structure. And I didn't really even see that one. I was kind of focusing on my little area. And yeah, so.
0: So we went ahead, sitting in that spot, trying our composition out in daylight and felt comfortable. Yet, Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. this is at least the first shot we'll try once the night comes. Mm-hmm. And then I looked to him and yelled, hey, I need to go grab a couple more pieces of equipment. I don't have my light painting flashlight. Let's leave our tripods here and go.
1: And come back to them.
0: And so <laughs> we thought, Yeah, okay, let's bring our cameras and make sure they're safe. But we'll leave our tripods. We'll find them easy. We're talking, the sun has set. It's below the horizon enough that it's starting to get dark. You're not seeing shadows anymore. Everything's in shadow. Our eyes are adjusting to the dark. It hasn't quite gone down enough that the sky is dark. And so, well, we know the spot. We know where we're heading. Let's walk back to the pavilion.
1: And there were other people there. In the park still. So that's why we didn't really feel comfortable leaving our cameras on the tripods. Yeah. We want to take them with us because tripods, you know, if we lose one, yeah, it'll suck. But, you know, it's not our camera. <laughs> At so. least
0: it's not our camera and everything else attached
1: to it. Right. So we walked a few steps away from our tripods and I thought we should probably put a pin in your phone. Yeah, you on the realize map. that, Because uh, yeah. this is dark and this is crazy i've never been here before and it's like a maze now let's give ourselves a landmark something to help her
0: find ourselves yeah
1: so we did that and said okay surely we can find ourselves back again put the pin in the map on my
0: iphone we could see where we are in the park we're we're really like two to five minutes away from our car so it's not gonna be that hard to
1: find right except if you see the video on (laughs) youtube you or on the website you will notice that we had a heck of a time finding <laughs> It took our us more tripods. than 30
0: minutes to find our tripods. We went back to the car. It became completely dark at that point. We grabbed all our gear. We ended up talking to some guy who was there working with another astrophotographer who was doing a time lapse, and talking to him, making sure that we wouldn't be in his frame too much, telling him we'll, we will be light painting our pictures, and so there will be lights over here. And so we said, okay, if you guys were over in that area, we'll, we'll do more of our time lapse over
1: on this oh, side. Oh, we were very far from that. I don't even think we picked up a I couldn't even see him at no, all. No,
0: I had never found him again. So we thinking, okay, well, we take a little bit more time trying to get back, and now it's
1: pitch black. So it literally was like four to five minutes from that spot to our car. And that's all and it would have taken. it easily taken. took us a half an hour to find our gear again. Oh, it
0: was intense. I mean, you would go straight, and you knew that we kind of went around this one mound and then over this other mound, but then we went through these hoodoos. But in the dark... We only saw the hoodoos like 15 feet in front of us. We couldn't make any sort of spatial judgment based on four or five different hoodoos in the distance that we remembered seeing the whole time when we were walking around a day. At night, we had nothing else but the things our flashlight could hit. It
1: was pitch black. It was crazy.
0: So we would walk and go, okay, I recognize I think this area. We'll just need to go that way. And we just keep going straight.
1: And we thought we were going straight or turning left and right and navigating to our general area. <laughs> And we ended up doing a complete full circle. Yeah,
0: it got so bad that we saw these two women who were out getting shots. We passed by them, went back this way, and then we thought we tried a different route and ended up right back at them 10 minutes later. And they laughed at us. (laughs) They did. You could hear the other one in the distance laughing in our video. I mean, she just thinks it's hilarious that, yeah. Even Brendan in the camera goes, we didn't just go
1: in a circle. There's no way. Because it didn't feel like it. That's (laughs) the crazy thing about going around a big circle. You don't realize it. It was so disorienting. It was unbelievable. After all of
0: our years in scouting, after all of our, well, we're men. We understand direction. We're going in a cardinal direction. We're fine.
1: Yeah. We failed. A manly fail.
0: (laughs) It was a manly fail. So when we come back from our last break, let's go ahead and talk about what went well. And then we'll complete more of the things that we learned from this trip. And we'll do gear time and tip of the week. Welcome back to the final segment of the Photog Adventures podcast. We're going to talk about what went well and what worked with us. So let's go ahead and start with you, Brendan.
1: What went well for me photographically, the gooseneck is just such a cool, like, object just sunken into the ground, this big river at the bottom. There's so much geometry going on and, and, like, geography and all that stuff going on with this feature of the rocks yeah. that it was just it was magnificent and even my phone took an amazing shot of that structure so i mean it was really cool but that's really kind of all there is out there you <laughs> yeah. know so you can take a really good shot of that and be on your way really but, but you
0: wandered around at night to capture a different milky way shot and you had to get creative just to get it
1: right and so i started getting creative with the milk because you were out there you know working on your stuff and i thought oh, i'll walk around i go to the bathroom and i saw this the guard gate or the guard house. And I thought, oh, that could be kind of a cool object in front of it's my Milky way. And so I was able to compose a shot with that. And I think it turned out pretty well. I to, it's a good shot. And then um, I set up my camera to do a time lapse at the end of the night, and that was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it really was. Your, your idea to do a time lapse inspired me to grab my 70D that wasn't doing anything, and throw a different lens on it and try it for a time lapse. And we ended up getting a combination of time lapses there that looked awesome.
1: Yeah, I was lucky to get a shot and well, it was still before the sunset of the ground. And so I got a nice clear shot of the ground and then I was glad that I didn't touch my tripod at all until after sunset and the Milky Way came up and I started doing a time lapse. It was awesome to go back in my pictures and see that ground plane that I can just superimpose right over The dark, I mean, it's just nothing. The dark lower half. Yeah, just nothing, just black, you know? So being able to actually superimpose the same exact ground over it, it was beautiful, and it worked out really well.
0: Absolutely an awesome tip, because I made the mistake with my 70D of not capturing anything before the sun went down, and so my time-lapse entirely is upper half stars, lower half black. Mm -hmm. Nothing, and it's not even nearly as cool next to your time-lapse, because I don't have the foreground subject even lit at all
1: right and that's and the, the reason i got that idea is because of the idea you had of getting that beforehand or the next day um, for your milky way shot to compose, that is a good point put them together so i kind of took that note and thought oh okay i should get a picture now and then i can use it later on too
0: oh man why did i not think of it i mean i already was doing it with the 6d to capture my image for the
1: i think you're portfolio. just too focused on your main comp that's why maybe yeah that makes sense
0: that other camera doing a time lapse was a secondary thought
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that composition
0: of doing the midday shot really worried me. My idea was I'm going to go around 7 o'clock, I'm going to capture a blue hour shot of this terrain, and then I'll use that with my night shot. So I like the more natural look of a blue hour terrain with the Milky Way shot than doing a bright daylight. I thought it's impossible that a bright daylight shot could work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. problem I was facing is that with that blue hour shot, all of the contrasting shadows, the shadows that gave depth and detail and structure to the gooseneck, was coming from the right. And so that right side was hitting this first side of the gooseneck, but then the lower half was all in shadow. And so that second half, the far left, was all shadowed or flat lighting. And so I didn't have any real detail, sharp contrasting detail, in the rocks on that left side.
1: Well, it was a super sh- like sharp shadow too because, I mean, it was just stark, almost like black and white difference. That shadow was so—the Yeah. The sun was creating such a predominant shadow. On that, that
0: left side. On that
1: left side that it just kind of just like, it, you had to wait later.
0: It was wiping it out of the composition pretty oh, much. Yeah, yeah. And the worst part about it is the Milky Way was starting at the far right edge of that left area in the shadow, and then it was streaking up above to the left. So most of my composition was focused on that left side.
1: Mm. It's like half
0: to two thirds of my image had that left side in it. And so I needed detail there. I needed contrast there, not flat lighting. And I realized I had to wait until the next morning when the light would start hitting that. Plus I noticed that the water at blue hour just doesn't stand out. It, it's no gone. the water
1: was in the shadow as mm-hmm. well. Exactly. Most of the water was so
0: And it would have been something very hanky for me to try in Lightroom to, to paint that in with mm. something because it would have looked unnatural. I needed light to be hitting it. So had I been there earlier in the evening when light was hitting it still. That might have worked. And we were just so late. We were too late to actually capture that earlier in the day shot where the light would actually be hitting the water. So we had to wait until the following morning when the light would be high enough to not be blocked by the cliff edge and actually angle down perfectly to hit the water that was in the bottom of the goosenecks. And so that took us almost until noon the next day.
1: And it got so hot, it was, oh, it was pretty <laughs> uncomfortable. There's nothing out there to block the sun.
0: It was such a long morning waiting. I woke up right at the crack of dawn, which was 6 a.m., and I was just waiting there for almost six full hours. So when I was yeah. doing my shot and waiting for that water, I was so worried. I was worried that midday light would be too harsh. Yeah, I would have a nice strong contrasting shadow showing on the rock faces, and I'd have the water standing out, but... I was really concerned that I was gonna try and blend like the brightest time of day into my night shot. And how is that gonna turn out? How is that gonna look in Lightroom? And I'm very surprised and very excited that it turned out when I brought the exposure down and I painted out some areas that were closer to the foreground and made them more shadowy and vignettey compared to the distance part. It looks okay. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. obvious that it's a little more artistic than realistic. People can probably recognize that right away, and some people don't. Some people just don't flat out recognize that. They just go, oh, wow, great picture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it looked out. It turned out fantastic. I was surprised. The only thing I would do different next time is have a wider angle lens and see far more Milky Way, and I'd probably go down in the gooseneck a little bit more, maybe like 20 feet down, so that I am seeing the gooseneck below me and much more sky.
1: Yeah, which I think is possible. They did seem to have those big stepping rocks. We could probably get down there. I
0: bet we could. It'd be a very uncomfortable night sleeping down there. So I'll probably just leave it and let it run on the time lapse and then come back up the next day and just wait. So that was Goosenecks and how things went well with Goosenecks. But what went well with Goblin Valley?
1: So Goblin Valley was really cool in the fact that at night, which is what we went for, clear sky, we wanted Milky Way, we wanted rocks in there in our foreground, and the valley... Is awesome in Goblin Valley. It blocked out so much more light, like because we were used to the light pollution that we saw at Goosenecks the night before. But this night in Goblin Valley, it looked literally twice as dark. It <laughs> was so dark because the because the valley dips down just low enough that it just blocks out all surrounding anywhere lights. I we mean, didn't
0: have Mexican Hat close by either, so we had. There no really is. City. I mean, yeah. The,
1: I mean, the closest thing is Hanksville, and that's a very small town. Right. So. And Mexican Hat's small, too, but it was too close. I right think. there. Yeah. It's just on the other side of the river, practically. And so. it's
0: so flat, like you described it. Between us and Mexican Hat, there was nothing blocking it.
1: Yeah. So the dark site, Goblin Valley is excellent dark oh, site. It was so, so great. Cool. And so get a nice, bright flashlight or two or three because don't get lost. <laughs> <laughs> because if it's dark, it's dark. It's pitch black. Um, the other good thing that went well for me, uh, besides the awesome terrain, was... The fact that I used this, I was trying to light paint with a cons- with a consistent light, constant light, and I had this little cheapo flashlight from Harbor Freight, you know, the free ones they usually give out, yeah, or $2 or whatever, so if you buy it. And uh, it was just so harsh, you know? And I was trying to like, I was trying all these different things to get the light to bounce off of rocks or to kind of like tuck it under a rock so it kind of looked like it was indirect lighting and stuff and just nothing was really quite working out the way you wanted it to. It was either too dim or too harsh and everything I tried just didn't, ah, you know, just didn't pan (laughs) out. So I ate this banana, threw it in my backpack, was going to take it out with me. A few moments go by and I thought, I bet I could use that banana peel. So I put the banana peel over the flashlight and took a few shots and sure enough, I was getting some color and some dim light just enough because on a 20 second exposure, you know, any amount of light, it's going to get blown out if it's too high, if it's just too much light. So yeah. the banana peel is just enough cover because it's shining this nice yellow light through this would normally be a harsh blue, bluish tint for the LEDs. Yeah, it's so crazy. So that it that warm, worked. the core, the warmer color came out nicer than the cool color up against the red rocks. And man, it really, I mean, once I adjust that that banana peel just right to cover up pretty much the whole light, and it was just softly emitting this blue banana peel light. It it worked out really well. I was pretty happy with that. That
0: shot, too, you're talking about is my favorite shot of yours. We have air pollution with green there. Then you have the really blue sky around the Milky Way, and the rocks are looking awesome red. And that's my favorite shot of yours, and we used it for our trailer video on our YouTube channel because it's just such a great... Let's put that front facing because it was an awesome portfolio shot.
1: Yeah, I was really happy with the results. And I just I just didn't want to leave that area because I was like, I finally got it. <laughs> and you're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, get over here. So,
0: <laughs> so with uh, his help, the other thing that went well for me in Goblin Valley was using my light painting flashlight. I have this EGTAC flashlight. It's an EGTAC Clicky. The numbers on it, if you're curious look it up, is D25LC2. It's a really great high CRI LED bulb that has natural colors. It's a good color spectrum that brings out the color of what you're pointing at. And so the red rock, the terrain turned out awesome.
1: Yeah, so it's not going to make your objects look too yellow or too blue. Yeah, it doesn't bring anything with it. Right in the middle, white, to really, yeah. It complements what colors colors
0: are there and gets more true. Exactly. And this was probably the second time I had a chance to use it. I used it on a silo. And we hadn't used it anywhere else except at this place, mm-hmm. and so we were having a chance to see how it would turn out. And it has three different settings: it has really bright light, or a little sh- smaller beam, and a really dim beam. And I-, I think it was fantastic. We spent probably half an hour—oh, yeah, I was maybe a little bit more—and <laughs> yeah. you were going patiently through each rock of my hoodoo family that was in that picture, and it turned out. I felt just like seven rocks. It was like forever. Awesome.
1: But it was a fantastic shot when you put all those together.
0: It was worth it. It was One of those situations where all that work paid off. Yeah. Okay, so we mentioned all the things that went really well and worked well in our photography. Now we want to talk about the things that we learned, some mistakes that we made that we learned from while we were here. And I'm going to start first because we're talking already about light painting those hoodoos. I made a mistake of not changing my f-stop when I was painting those light, those hoodoos. So we're light painting, and I can see, okay, well, I won't go this many seconds. I'll bring it down. And I had my ISO up at 4,000, so I brought it down to 2,000. Mm-hmm. That way, when I light painted, it wasn't blown out. It looked good. I did change my focus so that I was focusing on the rocks and not infinity, but you know it's a small LCD screen. You get it to the best focus it can look because you can see it out of focus and then in its best focus, out of focus in its best focus, and you kind of tweak it down there. You don't get to see is it in incredible focus or is it yeah, just the, in focus compared to out of focus? And
1: that's the tough thing about being there is you're you're in the moment and you're excited to get your shot, but sometimes you can miss on little details, especially at night. Oh it's man, such yeah. a challenge because. You've got to figure out a way to shine your light on an object, focus on it, and then and then you've got all the nighttime settings to figure out too. ISO levels and your F stop and your exposure time and right. there's so many little things to like navigate that it's easy to miss something. You know? And I'm
0: pulling you away from your camera. You're having to light paint for my shot the Milky Way is rising every second to Mm -hmm. a different position. So the more time I'm taking you away from your shot, you're maybe getting a completely different composition than you hoped. And so I'm trying to hurry. And I made the mistake of keeping my f-stop down wide open. I have this Rokinon lens, and the Rokinon lens doesn't communicate with the camera. That's really the only drop, well, manual focus only, and that it doesn't communicate with the camera. So I didn't see my f-stop but if i would have seen my f-stop i'd have realized that i was still sitting there on the coma aberration on a 1.4 rokinon lens this 24 millimeter it's a little bit there and if i go back and Click or two. That's usually around 2.5 f-stop, and that's where I take most of my shots on this 24 millimeter. When I captured the rocks, light painting them, I should never have been so open because then it changes and gives me a shallow depth of field. On top of that, my ISO was so high at 2,000 that it in- introduced noise into my shot. Mm. I didn't have to have that kind of noise. I was light painting. I could have gone down to 200, maybe 400 at the most ISO. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd obviously get away with 800, but on a Canon 70, oh no, this was a Canon 60. I can get away with probably 800 and not be too noisy, but on a 2000, it's just far too high.
1: So, so you, were getting, you were getting noise in the shadows, right? Is that exactly. Yeah.
0: The light painting turned out pretty well, but when I went back and I was working on my image and I saw it on a bigger screen, I realized, oh no while it was not the best focused it could have been in yeah. and then i brought the iso down to 200 i could have had a really crisp clear light painted shot of those rocks but i'm wondering
1: at those settings would it be too dim though even though it we were light painting it means paying? just
0: a longer 30 second exposure oh, because I guess you could 30, i'm not yeah. worried about star trails i'm only worried right. about blowing out the light and if right. we're blowing out the light we just go shorter
1: that's true. That's true. So. And so
0: when we have a chance next year, and in June, we go back out to Goblin mm-hmm. Valley, I really want to replicate this shot in the proper aperture. Get real
1: good sharpness and low noise. Yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly. Okay. And change that ISO down, because this is going to be a portfolio shot that's fixed. It's currently my portfolio shot, but anyone who looks at it and really critiques it will say, not enough clarity in your foreground, mm. and I could have done better.
1: Okay. Well, we're usually our, our harshest critics to ourselves, so. Yeah. You guys see the, pic- uh, the f- you see the picture online or on the video. You'll see it's 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 admirable. It's really great.
0: Thanks. And you see it in five hundred px in the full screen wide. It looks its worst, and uh, it's reason, so disappointing. Yeah. I think it's their compression on top of the fact that it's full
1: screen. Probably. So what I learned about this trip is um, my lighting situation was not ideal with uh, the banana peel. What I could do better, I think, is having a better light to go out with to begin with that's one thing that i think i can improve on is uh i want to play around with more consistent lights and i really liked the way that royce had introduced us to the light panel that he had and yeah. he had set up two of them i think for the the shot we did at mirror Lake. i
0: never thought a cost a constant source of light for light painting was a good idea i thought 10 seconds in it was going to be too bright and now my milky way can't get its full exposure yeah, and, and I was now wrong. We're,
1: yeah, we're we're realizing quite the opposite because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Milky Way shot that I got was all one shot. So there's no compositing there. It's that's that's one shot. This banana peel with a, with a flashlight and the Milky Way all at the same time.
0: You didn't have to go into Photoshop like I did and mask in no. six different light painting moments no. to make
1: the shot. And so that's what I was really proud about. Like, hey, I got this in one shot. This is pretty amazing. And then I just go into Lightroom and you know develop it and tweak it a little bit and bring out some more color and light, but other than that, it was pretty fantastic. So I'm thinking, okay, having a, a more consistent light that's more professional maybe, that you can actually adjust, dim it. and Kelvin change. Yeah, change Kelvin um, and also add filters, like magnetic filters at the top, and that's the kind of setup that he had it was brilliant. So I would like to duplicate that, maybe get something similar to his, his setup.
0: And those are affordable too, what he had, so we need to get those and see how they go.
1: Yeah, I think they were less than $100. For one of light. them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so
0: and the thing i didn't realize of course for a constant light painting situation is now you can do a time lapse that looks awesome cuz right. you're not going to get up there every 20 seconds and light paint the same way every no. time no so if
1: you so if you go if you guys go back to our mirror lake video and see the time lapse that light was on the whole time and it looks fantastic it's
0: my favorite one of your time lapses and it's so short
1: yeah i know i know <laughs>
0: So So the last thing I want to talk about for what I learned was simply bring an extra flashlight, a small light, a a hang light, or maybe a headlamp that you're not using at the time. And if you do plan on bringing your tripod to a location and then go back to it later, leave that light going. I thought maybe some glow sticks would be cool. You can put underneath your tripod so you can find it later. I've seen the tip before with Elia Locardi, who's in a video with F-stoppers, And he says that he put three rings of those little wristbands that are glow in the dark that you crack and they become glow sticks. Those wristbands, he's wrapped around the three legs of his tripod so he didn't accidentally bump into his tripod during exposure or during a time lapse. Because he was capturing a star trail, and he wanted to not move it. And so he put those around three legs so people wouldn't step on it, he wouldn't step on it or bump it. And had we done something like that, extra light source around our tripods, we probably would have found them much faster (laughs) instead of wasting 30 minutes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> time well spent, right? Mm-hmm. Oh
0: my gosh. It's hilarious in the video, but... Uh, so well, now we're going to go ahead into gear time with Brendan, then we'll have tip of the week.
1: So today for gear time, guys, we're going to talk about battery grips and expansion battery packs, which are kind of the same thing. Um, most digital SLRs will have this option. Um, if you're if you're going with a, with a Canon or Nikon or Sony or like brand, then you most likely have an option for a battery expansion pack. Um, they extend the life of your batteries like tremendously. Like when I was gauging just from everyday use, I I didn't do anything technical or scientific, but just from everyday use when I use a straight battery, single battery, and then I take two batteries and put my battery pack, it feels like it lasts 3 times longer.
0: Instead of just being twice, being twice the battery,
1: you Yeah, it's almost like the this almost like the whole thing with like one horse versus two horses yoking and uh, pulling its wagon does kind of thing. It's more efficiently. It's just so much yeah, it's like the battery is mm. just so much more efficient, they last way longer. That's how it feels. And and most people that I talk to concur. They can say it, it, it definitely feels that way. Which I'm going to go with that. It lasts longer than just having I mean more than double. So it's it's awesome. So if you if you need that Consider the expansion pack because those are fantastic to have. Aftermarket ones work just as well. I've you had both. You don't
0: need the better mark. Like, I haven't had both, but I've had the aftermarket and it works perfectly. There's nothing yeah. missing about it.
1: I've I've had one that was the official brand name from the camera. And I've had two for two of my cameras that were knockoffs or whatever aftermarket. And they both work exactly the same. So they're awesome. If you want to save yourself a a hundred and something dollars, then be okay with the aftermarket because honestly to me, it made no difference at all. Great quality, they build them really well. Of course you wanna look into reviews, make sure you don't, I mean, there's crummy ones out there, I'm sure. Make sure you get one that has at least four stars and you're probably golden. Another benefit of the battery grip is that you have, if you have big hands, the battery grip is more accommodating. So for me, just a straight body feels too small and I feel like my pinky curls under the camera to hold it and that's not comfortable the battery grip adds a little bit more for my hand to grip onto and it's a lot more comfortable for my man man hands and um <laughs> so the other thing that that battery grip offers you is are you picturing banana off I'm my picturing face seinfeld you get, a, you get something on your face and a banana piece falls right off the floor <laughs> man, hands. man hands i know i had to mention that um <laughs> So for all you Seinfeld lovers,
0: yeah, that's for you.
1: The battery grip also offers more controls. So when you flip, flip it to go portrait style, you've got a button there, and oh, that's so nice. the little and if you've got a Mark a Five D Mark Three, you've got the little control toggle and and the and the joystick. And so there's cool stuff you can do. And when you're in portrait mode, having that extra battery grip on there too, it's so much more comfortable. And that battery grip also has an on and off switch. And that's not for your camera, that is for the battery pack controls. So you don't you can turn those controls off so you don't actually trigger it accidentally when you're doing normal shots. So yeah. it's they're they're really cool the way they make those. Okay, so that's it for gear time. We talked about battery grips expansion packs and the benefits of having them. And yeah, uh, I love using mine and I hope you guys um, either have yours and love yours or if you're considering one, hope hope, this, hope that information helps you.
0: Continuing on a little bit of gear time, for my tip of the week, I want to talk about light painting. And we've mentioned all the elements of the tip of how to light paint. Make sure you bring your f-stop down to 8 or 5 or 6, something that is good. It just depends on how close you are to your subject that is being light painted. As well as I want to recommend this EGTAC d 25 LC2 Clicky LED light. The high CRI LED bulb is the biggest feature and nicest feature of it. But despite the you, – you look at this battery online, and you see that it's, a, it's going to be about 60 bucks for this flashlight. And then the battery is $20, and you got to buy a charger. So you're already up to $100 to buy this. And you think, okay, I'm buying this giant flashlight that I could fight off an intruder with.
1: Yeah, it's quite an investment.
0: <laughs> it's actually just an investment and not a large flashlight. This is tiny. The thing is about the size of my thumb and a little bit longer, and this thing is great, lightweight you can keep it in your bag at all times and whenever you need it, you use it. And it has multiple settings that allow you to manage it in different ways. I haven't light painted with it this way, but you have a flash, a high speed flash that you can have it be turned on so Mm. that it's flashing as well as you moving it around. I haven't had a scenario where I've needed the flashing cuz just waving it around like a wand it was painting fine mm-hmm. but maybe there's a benefit to having that strobe light going and waving it around so that you really don't low out one of your areas on your on your yeah. subject that you're light painting
1: maybe. we can try it out for sure
0: so wanna recommend that. It's awesome. You can find it on Amazon and I recommend it for a flashlight to take with you for light painting because if you use the LED bulbs that you have in your headlamp or other things while they will work, they add a color tint to it. And sometimes you can color correct that in Lightroom without any problems. And sometimes you just have too much work. And I found it mm-hmm. not worth it getting this recommendation from David Kingham's book Nightscapes, and it's worked out for me and I recommend it to others. Excellent. Thank you guys again for listening to the Photog Adventures podcast. We appreciate you following along with us. We hope that you're also checking out our YouTube videos and subscribing and liking them there. We'll keep it coming. Next week, we'll be talking about fall colors in Utah Valley, and we'll talk to you then.
1: Have a great day, guys, and go have a Photog Adventure.
0: Yeah, get out and have a Photog Adventure of your own.